The first reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Our Gospel reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 14. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servants' girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you are talking about, he said, and went out into the entrance. When the servant's girl saw him there, she said again to, to those standing around them, This fellow is one of them, she said. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Good morning, everyone. Well, I think I've said good morning to most of you, but it's lovely, lovely to be back at St. Matthew's after such a long break. But it, it really is lovely to be back. And as Kirsty was saying, we've had an amazing time away. Do please come and join us over lunch, um, and uh, we'll tell you a bit more about what we've actually been up to while we've been away. But one of the most important things that I've been learning and realising and absorbing on the sabbatical has been really how much more potential for growth I have in my own walk with the Lord. And a similar realisation that probably that goes for all of us. And actually, I think that's really, really exciting. A quick example. One thing that Kirsty and I did on the spur of the moment was that we enrolled ourselves, or rather Kirsty enrolled us, onto a course at our daughter's church in South Africa, which was running over three consecutive days, called Family Foundations. And of Christians, of course, we're meant to be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
But one of the things that can get in the way of that, particularly in marriages, is that different ways that men and women tend to see the world and relate to one another. Women are very relational. Men are more task-focused or topical, as the course called it. And it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. I could see how both at home and probably in my role as a vicar, I can so often put the task before the person, sometimes in quite an unhelpful way. So I resolved to change. You'd be glad to hear. I did really well for a couple of weeks, which is quite important, especially when we got to sharing a camper van around New Zealand. Um, But we were there in the camper van on the way to Milford Sound, and Kirsty saw a viewpoint stop-off that was called Mirror Lakes. Now, my topical, technical mind thought, come on, Mirror Lakes? I mean, every lake can reflect, reflect its surroundings just as well as any other. Why on earth does this lake lay claim to be anything different? Well, you can see the danger approaching, can't you? Well, we walked down to the lake, and I'm thinking, this is nothing special. And Kirsty takes some photos of the lake with the mountains and the clouds behind reflected in the water, and she proudly shows me her photos. Look at these reflections. And for some unbelievably stupid reason, I shrugged them off saying, any lake will give you that and turn around and walk back up the path, completely crushing Kirsty's excitement over the photos she'd taken. On the way back to the van, she said to me, you haven't learnt much from that course. (laughs) You were totally topical and completely unrelational. And she was right. I failed. I fell badly in in the business of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness and self-control. But I'm learning from it. And I've asked Kirsty to tell me whenever I sacrifice the personal in pursuit of the topical. I still have a lot of growing to do. And I suspect we all do. In our gospel reading today, we come across someone else who still has a lot of growing to do, despite spending three whole years with, in the actual company, in the physical presence of Jesus. And that's Peter one of Jesus' disciples and closest friends. Peter was one of Jesus, probably Jesus' most ambitious disciple. He was often ahead of the others, the first to verbally affirm and identify Jesus as the Messiah. He was the first to get out of the boat on the Sea of Galilee to try and walk on the water. And just a short while before his spectacular failure detailed in our Gospel reading today, he was proclaiming his total commitment and dedication to Jesus. But he fails. And most of us know the story. But if you don't, briefly, the situation is this. Jesus has been arrested. Um, He's he's, um, been taken by the authorities to the house of the high priest Caiaphas to be interrogated. In fairness to Peter, most of the other disciples have just run a mile the moment Jesus was arrested. Peter actually follows the mob back to Caiaphas' house. And three times someone comes up to him and accuses him of being a Jesus follower. And in fear for his life, three times Peter flatly denies it, each denial becoming more desperate than the one before. And just as he makes his third denial, the dawn cock crows, and Peter realises that he is utterly sold out his Lord and Master by denying Jesus and pretending he never knew him, and he breaks down in tears at the realisation of how badly he has failed. 
We've all known, haven't we, the experience of feeling like we've failed. It's not a good feeling. Perhaps we've lost a job, been made redundant, and we feel that somehow we're to blame. Most often, it's probably because we've messed up in a relationship, a bit like I did at Mirror Lakes. We've hurt a loved one. We found that our great new intentions to change for the better come crashing down on the rocks. Or we've officially failed, didn't get the grades, failed some exams, didn't get past the driving test, whatever it is, we all know what failure feels like. The good news, and remember, all the pages of Holy Scripture are good news. They may contain uncomfortable truths, but they all contain good news. And these scriptures this morning show us that experiencing failure is something that even the great apostles and saints did. Experiencing apparent failure is even something that Jesus did. Certainly looked like a failure for a while. But these pages show us that when we view life and the world through the eyes, through the lens of Jesus and the cross, not only can we deal with failure and be comforted in failure, but we can also understand it as a necessary and vital experience for our growth as Christians. Does that sound good? Okay, let's dive into the Bible. Please grab a Bible and turn to page 1022 and see what we can learn. And I recommend picking up a Bible because we're going to be looking elsewhere than just at the readings that are printed on the service sheets. But we'll start on page 1022, which is Peter's denial of Jesus. Now, incidentally, this account of, Jesus's, of Peter's denial of knowing Jesus is one of the relatively few events in the scriptures that is recorded in all four Gospels. Why is that? Why is one of the most embarrassing failures on, by one of the great apostles and one of Jesus' closest friends exposed like this in all four of the Gospels? Well, it's quite interesting. So just follow me on this for a moment. Mark's Gospel, which we're reading here, is widely accepted by biblical scholars to be the first of the Gospels written down on paper. And Mark's Gospel is actually often referred to as unofficially as the Gospel of Peter. Why is that? Well, because as Graham Tomlin explains in his book Looking Through the Cross, in the second century, an early Christian writer called Papias records the link between Mark and Peter. And this is what he wrote. It's going to come up on the screen. Mark, this is Papias writing in the second century, Mark, who had been Peter's interpreter, wrote down carefully, but not in order, all that he remembered of the Lord's sayings and doings. For he had not heard the Lord or been one of his followers, but later, as I said, one of Peter's. In other words, Mark was a disciple of the apostle Peter. Peter used to adapt his teaching to the occasion without making a systematic arrangement of the Lord's sayings. Does that surprise us? So that Mark was quite justified in writing down some things just as he recalled them. For he had one purpose only, to leave out nothing that he had heard and to make no misstatement of it. Isn't that fascinating? It's not scripture, but isn't it a fascinating little insight that the likelihood is that Mark's gospel came from the mouth of Peter himself. So it was Peter who actually told Mark the story of how badly he had messed up. And so it's very likely 
That Peter, this was a very important moment for Peter, that he told this story time and time again later on, and hence it made it into all four Gospels. And if Peter told this story so freely, it was probably because he had learned and grown hugely through that experience. Okay, anyway, moving on. Please look down in the Mark passage to the very last verse. And in fact, the very last sentence. Remember, Peter has denied knowing Jesus three times, the cock crows, and then Peter remembers the words of Jesus. And the very final sentence in verse 72 says, and he broke down and wept. And that's how we feel sometimes when we know that we failed or when we've messed up, or especially when we've hurt someone we love. We just want to cry, or run, or hide. And you know, we never hear again from Peter, not until the morning of the resurrection. It's almost as if his heart dies with Jesus on the cross, and he vanishes along with most of the other disciples, out of fear, guilt, and shame. However, as you probably gather, I want to Uh, encourage you this morning that this is not just a story of failure but it contains also the seeds of redemption of compassion of love and forgiveness and a hint at the ultimate victory which Jesus will win over sin and death on the cross have you noticed in your lives have you ever noticed how so often something which seems like a disaster a pointless tragedy also contains some hints of resurrection, of new life, of redemption. Something good comes out of something that seems terribly bad. One of our great friends, the most lovely, gentle person you could hope to meet, Wendy, is right now in a battle with pretty advanced cancer. I spoke to her last night on the phone. She has no idea how long she's got left in this world. But since she discovered that the cancer had returned, so it's secondaries... Yes, she admits that she's frightened. Who wouldn't be? But some amazing things are happening in her life. A desire to paint, which she had some years ago but never properly realised, has turned into an incredible gift for painting and sculpting. In the last month, she's completed 13 paintings and people are asking her to exhibit her sculptures. And what's more, she's told me that through all this, she's drawn closer to God. Wendy has not been a churchgoer all her life. She wouldn't have even uh, sort of labelled herself Christian. But she's felt herself being drawn closer to God, that she hands each day over to him, that she picks up the cross beside her bed and holds it in her hand and asks Jesus to heal her from the inside out. But she knows whatever happens, she is in God's hands and she's living every day as a gift of grace. Now, the seeds of redemption are not so obvious in the story of Peter's denial of Jesus, but they are there. Firstly, this story of failure is a remarkable, and in a a remarkable and surprising way, affirms the identity of Jesus, the Messiah. How does it do that? Well, the bottom line accusation against Jesus, the reason he was arrested by the religious leaders, was that he was a false prophet leading the people of Israel astray. And he had infuriated them with his prophecy when he had, for example, prophesied against the temple that it would be destroyed. 
not one stone left upon another. And the final nail in the coffin can be found if you just turn back to the previous page and look at verse 61. During Jesus' interrogation, he's asked by the high priest, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus replies in verse 62, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest, we're told, tore his clothes and cried out, why do we need any more witnesses? You've heard this blasphemy. Blasphemy, which is effectively insulting God or claiming to be God, carried the death penalty in Jewish law. And the claim to messiahship or kingship was a direct challenge to the Roman authorities. So Caiaphas knew they had him. The conviction was in the bag. As far as they were concerned, Jesus was a blaspheming false prophet. But look back earlier in that chapter to verse 27, just before Jesus' arrest. Jesus tells his disciples, you will all fall away, he says. And Peter objects in verse 29, he says, even if all fall away, I will not. And then Jesus says, truly I tell you, before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. What is Jesus doing? He's prophesying the future denial of Peter. What happens? Peter denies him, just as Jesus has prophesied. What does that mean? Jesus is a true prophet. The story tells us that that he speaks the truth. And if he speaks the truth, then he is the Messiah, the Son of God. In the moment of Peter's greatest shame, Jesus has reconfirmed to Peter his identity, which Peter had himself declared sometime earlier when Jesus was asked, who do you think I am? You are the Messiah, he had said, the Son of the living God. And you know, in a great irony, in the Greek manuscript, Caiaphas's question, which in the Bible here is written, are you, are you the Messiah, is actually written in exactly the same words that Peter used when he declared Jesus Messiah. It's not written, are you the Messiah? In the Greek, it's written, you are the Messiah? Question mark. The very same words that Peter used. But there's another clue or hint of redemption in this denial of Jesus. But to find it, we have to go to Luke's Gospel. So quickly turn forward to 1059, page 1059. It's Luke's version of this story of Peter's denial. And it's chapter 22, verse 59. Peter has already denied Jesus twice. And here comes the third denial, verse 59. About an hour later, another person asserted... Certainly this fellow, obviously pointing at Peter, was with Jesus, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replies, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the cock crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Did you see? Did you see that extra little bit of information in Luke's account in verse 61, just after the cock crows? We're told that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. 
It's a tiny bit extra, but this tiny bit is monumental. It's earth-shatteringly good news. Incidentally, as a little aside, do you know Luke, the writer of this gospel, was the long-time travelling companion of Paul the Apostle? And he would have had many opportunities when he could have discussed the events of the gospel with the Apostle Peter, particularly while Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea. And he's also the writer who says in the first paragraph of his gospel that he has, quote, carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Small wonder that he might have got this extra little snippet of detail from Peter. But why is it such good news? Well, clearly Jesus turned and looked at Peter because he knew of his betrayal. And so what we learn is that when we mess up, firstly, God knows us. Sometimes people think, I'd rather God didn't know if I messed up. But if you think about it, that would be because of a completely wrong understanding about who God is. The Christian understanding of God is quite clear on this. God knows our every thought, our every action. He knows our every feeling. It's mind-boggling. But God is God. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. It's a huge relief, actually, to know that he knows everything, because then we've nothing to hide. Adam tried to hide in the Garden of Eden, but there's no hiding from God. And that's because, secondly, God loves us. Jesus didn't look at Peter with anger or to make him feel guilty. I'm sure Jesus was hurt at the betrayal, even though he had predicted it. And I'm sure many of the things we do bring pain to the Lord's heart. But he looked at Peter because he loved him. More than that, I think he looked at Peter to prepare him for the days ahead. I think Peter realised all the more powerfully in that look that Jesus gave him, reminding him of Jesus prophesying his betrayal, that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God's Messiah. And although all that was happening around him looked like a failure, that look would sustain Peter through the crucifixion and on to Sunday morning when Peter ran to the empty tomb. God knows us, he loves us, and thirdly, God forgives us. Although Jesus was hurt, although Peter had betrayed him, Jesus could have just turned his back on Peter and walked away. But that eye-to-eye contact with with the disciple who had worshipped the ground on which Jesus walked, who was the only one to step out of the boat, the only one to declare him Messiah, the only one who had the guts to follow the lynch mob back to Jerusalem... I think that mess, that look was also a message of forgiveness. I know it doesn't say that, but I think it was. Fourthly, God restores us. We won't go, we won't go into detail on this today, but a couple of weeks after Peter's denial, on the other side of the cross, where Jesus triumphed over sin and death, Jesus formally restores Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. When he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And each time Peter, of course, says, yes, Lord, I love you. And it's like each yes is cancelling out each denial three times. It's the reason that every morning in my personal prayers, I pray out loud, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Because it helps me to remember that Jesus has already forgiven me and that he restores me as I turn back to him. 
When I pray those words, I often feel my eyes pricking with tears because of the love I feel for Jesus. It's been one of the most powerful prayers of my life. God knows us in our failures. He loves us through our failures. He forgives us our failures. And he restores us back into relationship with him. And that's why, finally, we grow through our failures. Just a week after this event, when Peter broke down in tears of remorse, he stood up, the leader on the day of Pentecost, and he preached a monumental sermon right in the middle of Jerusalem that brought 3,000 people to faith in Jesus Christ. And the church was born, and there are two and a half billion Christians today. Think of that. I don't think Peter would have been ready for that if he hadn't gone through the refining fire of disastrous failure followed by redemption and restoration. Peter realised that God loved him through his failures and as a result, he grew through his failures. So let us this morning determine to do the same. Let's pray.